Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. Season's greetings. Welcome back to the podcast. We've got an episode planned this week that I think will help get you into the holiday spirit, especially if you've got some kids that you need to scare into behaving right. But before we get into that, we need to ourselves behave right and make some corrections that were brought to our attention from previous episodes. So, some of you may know, I am not an expert on everything uh, in the whole world. So I love it when we get corrections from people about the culture that they are part of that we get wrong. And so Shristi, actually, she sent me a message to let me know that in our last episode, when I was talking about how the red vermilion mark or the tika is put on the forehead, I had said that that only happens for like festivals or really special occasions, but apparently like a family can decide to do that whenever they want, like throughout the year. And so it was not necessarily during like a festival time that the goat in the story was uh, sacrificed. So that was really good information to know that like, Where I was saying like, oh, this must be like during like a festival time, maybe like this specific festival that does some of these like same things. Like, yeah, maybe she was like, it could be that it was during it. And people, if they wrote a script for like the book, movie, whatever, if they had been like writing it down, they could place it during like a festival time, but it didn't necessarily have to happen during a festival season. So I thought that was like really insightful. Yeah. So I just wanted to like add that. And yeah, anytime if you hear me talking about your culture and I totally am missing the mark, definitely always let us know because this is like a podcast. that's like about learning about other cultures through storytelling and I don't know everything about every culture. And so it really helps when people who are inside of a culture can like reach out and correct us. Yeah, definitely. This podcast is all about learning about new things, you know? So it's like when you write in to tell us things that we got wrong, it's just another opportunity to learn as long as you're not a jerk about it. (laughs) So far, no one has been a jerk. It's been lovely. Yeah, everyone has been really nice so far. So that's great. So please keep writing in and tell us things that we got wrong or just give us suggestions about stories that you might want to hear or that you think might be interesting to us. Cause we have like a huge list where we keep track of all these stories that people write in and lots of them turn into episodes. This episode is actually going to include a bunch of little stories that people have kind of written in to tell me about, or kind of uh, mythological characters that fit into this specific story of like being used against children. And so if you are listening and we either mention a character that's from your culture and you want us to know more information or we get it wrong, something, let us know. And if you don't hear us mention a parenting character 
from your like culture's canon of <laughs> characters <laughs> right in so that maybe we can do another episode of uh, folklore parenting and help Katrina gather resources for her book. <laughs> yep. I've been joking around that. I want to write a book. Krampus Gryline goblins, a folklore guide to parenting chronically naughty children. And I've been not joking around telling her that she actually needs to write it. <laughs> I love that the title is so long. Like so many other titles of papers and <laughs> yeah, stuff that I fits in perfectly with the type of stuff we read as research for this podcast. It'll be it'll be my thesis. <laughs> nice, yeah, that's good. So it is getting to be in like Christian calendar wise. We're entering into Advent. It is Yule coming up, Christmas coming up. It's a lot of those like winter holidays. New Year's seasons, we're kind of getting closer into all of that. And so there's a lot of different holidays all around the world that happen around this time of year. And I think something that a lot of people in Western culture are familiar with is Santa Claus. And the concept of if you have been naughty or if you've been nice, Santa knows because he's got a list. And he's going to be checking it twice. <laughs> <laughs> so Santa used to be used in a, in this like kind of parenting way of like, hey, be good or you're not going to get any presents. And kind of what's becoming more common in like the zeitgeist is the idea of Krampus or some of like the European characters that are a little more on the the punishment side <laughs> <laughs> of this. So I wanted to look at, for Christmas, a bunch of stories that are used to scare children into behaving. So most of the stories that we're going to be telling today aren't centered around Christmas time. But to get us kind of in the mood and on the right track, we're going to be focusing a little bit on some of the Christmas time characters. So first up... Last year, we talked a little bit about Krampus in our Mother Holly episode, or Frau Holly. So she is a witch, like a pagan, old school witch. So she is related to other such witches that stem from Norse mythology, like Frau Perchta and Gryla. So let's talk about Gryla for a second. Yeah, because Gryla was one of the ones that we mentioned last year, but we didn't really talk a whole bunch about her. Basically, like she had a cat that would threaten to like eat children if they didn't behave or something like that. Like that's the extent of what I remember. Yes. So the cat eats a very specific type of child. Or a very, like the cat eats people for a very specific reason that we'll get into in a second. Um, but yeah, so Gryla is a giantess and she stems from the same like old Norse mythology that kind of like branched off. And so you get different like witches in the woods. Some people have even linked uh, like Baba Yaga as like a witch in the wood back to this like the like Norse mythology. 
So the first time that Gryla is ever mentioned, she's just mentioned as a giantess in the Prose Edda. So that is a book of writing from the 13th century in Iceland. We've talked a little bit about the Prose Edda and the Poetic Edda before when we were talking about textile magic. Um, So people might remember that. So, but she's just like briefly mentioned inside of that as like a giantess. And inside the Prose Edda, there's like no relation to Christmas at all at this point. So in later writings, so closer to like our time, she starts to appear as like a character who like comes out of a cave and is like begging parents to just give her their naughty children for her to take home and eat. So it's like in the story, she'd just be like <laughs> out on the street being like, oh, I see you're having a hard time with your child. Let me take the child. And parents, I guess, would tell their kids like, you know what? I'm really tired. I should probably just give you to <laughs> Gryla. <laughs> you're too much to handle as a kind of way to like get kids to behave. That's kind of interesting, too, because it's not like oh, Gryla's going to come and eat you if you don't behave. It's like the parents actually are having the choice. So they actually have the power in that circumstance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, where they're like, dude, like, don't. Because if if I see Gryla coming down the street, I'm just going to hand you off to this like <laughs> woman. Calm down. And then slowly the story started to turn to, like, Gryla can sit and watch you from, like, the forest or, like, the outskirts of, like, town. And she keeps track of, like, which kids in town seem to be naughty and which ones seem to be nice. And then around Yule time, which is December 21st, that's when Yule is, when it's the darkest, she will come out of her cave with a giant sack and go to the homes of the naughtiest children and just snatch them up in the night. (laughs) And then she takes them home so that she can make a giant vat of children's stew. And then the whole Gryla family can gather around and have a beautiful (laughs) family dinner of harvested children's stew. Delicious. And I'm assuming they sing carols and tell each other how thankful they are for that year's harvest of children. So Gryla also has like other family, like in that story, I'm like, she does have this like whole family that's gotten larger and larger, like as years go by, more and more characters kind of had gotten added to it. So she's got a husband. The research that I did said that that the husband that she has right now is her third husband. (laughs) So like, I don't, I don't know how like giant slash troll divorce like works or if the other husbands, she ate them or something. I don't know. But she also has a bunch of Yule lads, a bunch of like children (laughs) So uh, in different writings throughout time in Iceland, there were like different numbers of Yule lads. And then there became there was a popular poem that was written that included 13 Yule lads and described like different things kind of about their characters. It named them and then said different things about like their characters. Yeah. And so that came out in like 1932. And ever since that happened, it's kind of been 
canonized that there's 13 Yule Lads. In right. Like, like, those are the ones now. Yeah. That's so fascinating, too, because... We've talked about how Tolkien got, like, inspiration from, like, the Icelandic poetic Edda and stuff like that and, like, names from there. But when I was looking up pictures of the Yule Lads, it totally reminded me of, like, the dwarves from The Hobbit. And there are 13 of those dwarves as well. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so crazy. Like, another seemingly, like, Tolkien connection with these, like, crazy... You know, like, because the, all the dwarves in The Hobbit have kind of their own, like, personalities and stuff. They're all very different from one another. And, like, especially, like, in your, if you're trying to visualize them, they've got kind of, like, distinct styles, like, of beard or hair or whatever that set them apart. And the Yule Lads seem to be kind of similar from the, the images that I was able to pull up. So it's yeah. also funny that there's 13 of them, just like the 13 dwarves. Yeah, that's cool. So... The Yule Lads all have different names for kind of the the different bad behavior, tricky behavior that they have. So so in the like mythology of them, it's kind of set up that they each come one at a time to, I guess, like the town or your house or whatever. So mm-hmm. the first one comes... I think it's 12 days before Christmas so that they're all at your house like on Christmas. <laughs> and then they all leave. The first one leaves first and so on. So they each end up spending like 12 full days like oh, wow. around being naughty. Yeah. And so it's like this like big chunk of time basically that you have to be like behaving and on your best behavior and looking out for like their tricky business. So some of the things that they get up to. So I'm not going to even attempt to say the Icelandic names. <laughs> Save us all the torment. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you the like the English translation of some of their, their names. So there's Gully Gawk. Um, <laughs> he steals, apparently he steals foam from the buckets of cow's milk. But why he's called Gully Gawk is he lays like in a gully and like waits, he's like watching to like wait uh, for you to like leave the bucket of milk unattended so that he can come and and, and steal, steal the foam the off of it. Fo- foam off of it. <laughs> Spoon liquor. I think that one is pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> um, he goes and he licks your spoons. Same bowl liquor. So bowl liquor. There were these storage bowls that they have like a a lid on them Mm -hmm. and they would end up being like underneath beds is what I read. So they'd be like full of food and it's stored just like underneath the bed. But bowl liquor would come in the middle of the night and he'd pop open the bowl and like eat it, like eat the (laughs) like food out of it. Yeah. There's skier gobbler. So skier, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's S-K-Y-R, skier. It's an Icelandic yogurt. So he Mm. like gobbles up all the yogurt before (laughs) anybody else can get to it. Sausage swiper. Swipe, swiper, (laughs) no swiping. (laughs) He comes and he steals like little sausages. Window peeper. (laughs) 
Peep and Tom. <laughs> Peep and Tom. So apparently what he's doing is he peeps through the windows looking for stuff to steal from like other people. Uh. So he's like peeping in the window, but he's usually also the one that in the stories goes and reports to Gryla if you yeah. are badly behaving. And so while he's peeping in the windows, you know, casing your house to rob, he's like, oh, I noticed that that kid is not picking up their toys. Yeah, that kid looks delicious. He's left his <laughs> he's left his toys out everywhere, so in the night I'm going to come and steal his toys. Door sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> so his 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 crime is not sniffing doors. <laughs> Sounds like a really good insult to call somebody though. It's like, "Hey, back up, door sniffer." <laughs> so he apparently has a really big nose. And he is constantly sniffing around for baked goods. Mm. So he'll like go to the door and be like sniffing the cracks around the door to see if anybody's like cooking. Some, right, to like, get the aroma inside. of the. Yep. And meat hook and candle beggar. So candle beggar, he steals uh, candles. Specifically, apparently from children who... When they're like going out to like the barn or whatever to take care of like the animals in the wintertime, if he sees them like carrying like their little candles, he'll try to like steal them from mm. the the children. So what's interesting to me about these, I, I read an article where it was a woman, an elderly woman who grew up in Iceland. She said that how they were always presented to her like as a child was that like these were bad behaviors like these characters were exhibiting bad behaviors that were kind of common for children to do yeah that's and what i was going to ask if it's supposed to be like you know like like the one thing where it's like oh they steal your candle if you're like taking it out to the barn was supposed to be like hold on to your candle because if you you know, set it down in the barn, you might burn all your barn down or something like that. Like if they were tied to trying to prevent specific behaviors from the kids or whatever. Yeah, yeah because it basically was like, so the the candles were made by hand mm -hmm. and they were usually made, You a lot of stuff can't be made after a certain point in the year. And the dead of winter, you can like you're not making candles in the dead of winter because like you've run out of like you don't have like the beeswax to do it and stuff. So you had a finite amount of sausage, of yogurt, of candles, like you, uh, of the food that was stored under the bed. So the it was like that, you yeah. couldn't just go and sneak eating it because your parents needed to plan out. And like ration it out to get it to last through the winter. Exactly. And ah. so like these characters kind of uh, also seem to allow a little bit of like, who was licking this spoon? And the kids can kind of be like, I guess spoon liquor came in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and it like, it's a kind of a way to, you know, how to, yeah, exactly what you said. Like have the kids learn like like these are inappropriate behaviors like there's a finite amount of stuff like in this house and if everybody is sneaking into the goodies there's not going to be yeah. enough for it all to go around if you're going to be selfish in this way we're not going to make it yeah and so am 
I'm like, it's sad to say that like in, in wintertime in these like European countries, like up North death was more common in the wintertime. And so it was a very scary time anyway. And so to kind of like you, you want a way to like put the fear into kids because they, you don't want them to experience the natural consequence to their actions. It's like there are some things like in parenting kind of best practice considered more so today is that like kids seem to learn better if they have a natural consequence to the bad thing that they did. Of Like you didn't take care of your toy, your toy broke. Now your toy is in the garbage. But I can't teach my kid not to run in the street by hitting him with my car. (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> you could only teach that lesson once one time the real yeah. thing yeah. which doesn't do any good no and so you have to find a way to like put the fear into children without them actually experiencing like the natural consequence and in iceland especially you know in like the 17th century yeah it was a very winter is a very scary time like you can't have kids knocking accidentally knocking over the the buckets of milk you can't have the kids be like eating all the sausages just because they're like oh sausages are yummy and i'm gonna get into this stuff you need everybody to just be on their best behavior so that you can all make it through the winter. Yeah. And so, yeah, these these Yule lads, yeah, kind of play this, like, role of being very childlike in the way that they are making mischief in the house to both illustrate what behavior children shouldn't be doing and also, I feel like, to give a little, an out if the kid gets caught doing one of these things. Mm-hmm. So another member of the Gryla household <laughs> is her cat. Uh, so she has this she has this monstrously large cat that eats a very specific type of person or people. She eats people who don't have new clothes for Christmas. Oh. So if you don't get like if you don't get socks, underwear or, you know, a new shirt knitted for you for Christmas, that cat's going to eat you. (laughs) You She likes the well-seasoned clothes that you've been wearing all year, sweating in and getting dirty in. Yeah. So the reasoning behind this is that pretty much all year long, fabrics, textiles are in demand. There is work that has to be done to have these items. And it's work that has to be done pretty much all year round, where you have to be slowly working towards making clothes. But by the time winter gets there, everybody needs to have all their clothes. They need to have all the bedding that they're going to need. Because by the time winter hits... It's everlastingly too late for you to be like, oh, I wish that we had sheared the sheep earlier or I wish that we had like, no, it's too late. Whatever is in your house is what's in your house. Yeah. And so it, it was this thing that just kind of, you know, they would talk about like all throughout the working season of like, we have to make sure we have these clothes done by the time that Yule cat comes prowling around because 
that your cat will eat you or more terrifyingly, your family could freeze if you don't have the clothes that you need for winter. That's really interesting. It's funny, too, because like you said that and I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because I was just thinking to myself as a kid, like not your explanation, but we were just like, oh, eats kids that don't get new clothes for Christmas. I was like, I remember I hated opening clothes for Christmas is like what a waste of a gift this could have been toys or something fun that I wanted but you know like you wouldn't be allowed to complain about it because it's like your grandma or whoever got it for you and it was like they would get you nice stuff and stuff that you needed and whatever and it's so I thought it was kind of like oh yeah Gryla would like come and eat me it would be made to make me grateful like oh good I got new clothes so this way Gryla's cat's not gonna come and gobble me up yeah you know, that uh, your explanation obviously makes a lot more sense for the, the time period and is a lot more interesting than that even. But it is funny how it still like yeah <laughs> works to scare kid me into being grateful that grateful. I got clothes for Christmas. So we can still use it today. Yeah, it's still use- fully useful today. So what's interesting is that Christmas gifts used to be just little like trinkets. And like they used to be like a lot smaller of like a thing where it was like basically everybody would get kind of like one present and it would be something that was like just like a doll. Yeah. And and sometimes it was like just a new clothing that they were like, oh, yay, I got fabric from the store. (laughs) I had the same read as you, Jeff, when I first found out about the kids getting, uh, Uh, like that the cat would eat kids who didn't have new clothes. Because I know I was always so ungrateful where it's like socks. Why would Santa, (laughs) like, why would I want these? Um, So parents kept using the stories of the Yule lads and Gryla and specifically her cat to come and get people. Um, Parents were using these stories to torment their children so much that in 1746, um, the Icelandic government officially banned parents from tormenting their kids with those (laughs) monster stories. (laughs) That's hilarious. Which I was like, that seems a little... So I was trying to look up a source on that because I was like, I don't know if that seems right. So I found in an article in the Smithsonian Magazine mentioning this and saying that in the National Museum of Iceland, like that is written down as like, yep, 1746. That's I think it, so funny. I want to say it was specifically like the Prince of Denmark or something who was the one that made that like proclamation, but I'm not entirely sure... About, like, who exactly it was who was, like, anti. But, yeah, I'm like, can you imagine a story getting so out of control that, like, (laughs) the government was like, no, stop it. Absolutely. We cannot. (laughs) Oh, man. Where was the president when Momo was going around a few years ago? (laughs) Or when I talked about the other day, Wrinkles the Clown. Yeah. Um, Because that's one that, like, parents have. Because sometimes we look at, like, things that, people used to do back in the day and we think oh we don't do stuff like that anymore and it's like we absolutely do yeah like from the extreme end of like calling up wrinkles the clown to scare your child to just something as simple as like elf on the shelf where it's like oh this elf is watching you and he's gonna report to santa so it's like we still kind of use less terrifying i think than yeah a giant cat coming to eat you yeah or like 
like perched uh, coming out to like slit open your belly if you don't finish your sewing. <laughs> yeah. It's like that seems a little extreme there, perched uh. Yeah, calm down. Let me finish my Oh, cuz it'd be like she'd slit your belly open and then rip out your innards and fill you with stuffing. Yeah. It was like, "Oh my gosh, perched uh. Take a chill pill." <laughs> Jeez. Uh, but it seems like the like nuclear option. Yeah. So when I was a little kid, my parents would read this poem called Little Orphan Annie to me. And it's by a poet named James Whitcomb Riley. And he's uh, from America. And the poem was basically about how like this family had taken in um, an orphan child to basically be a maid or a servant like inside of the house and at night the kids would sit around and listen to stories that annie was like telling them and all of her stories were basically like like once there was this little boy who wouldn't say his prayers (laughs) and when he went to bed his parents heard him like like screaming and hollering. So they like ran upstairs and turned the covers down on his bed and he wasn't in there and they could hear him screaming and they searched all over the house and then the screaming stopped and they never found him. And uh, the goblins will get you if you don't watch out. (laughs) 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 Good night. Uh, (laughs) And I mean, my parents never used this poem to like scare me. Right. It was they, just like Yeah, it was entertainment. just exactly like just a little like like poem to read to you. But one thing that I think is really interesting, like at the end of the poem, I'll read a little bit of it. It says And little orphan Annie says when the blaze is blue and the lamp wick sputters and the wind goes woo. And you hear the crickets quit and the moon is gray and the lightning bugs in dew is all squenched away. You better mind your parents and your teachers fond and dear and cherish them that loves you and dry the orphan's tear and help the poor and needed ones that cluster all about or the goblins will get you if you don't watch out. I think it's so interesting that she basically like includes herself and she's like, you should help the poor and needy and dry the orphan's tear, which is her. Yeah, right. So I think that's like a little interesting. But yeah, it's funny that like in the poem, she's basically like, like, hey, kids, before you go to bed, remember, you need to listen to your parents. You need to listen to your teachers. You need to take care of like the poor and the needy or goblins are going to come and take you away. <laughs> Which, like, I think about how kids used to be told stuff like that, like, in England about, like, the fae, Mm -hmm. where, like, fairies are out and about, and if they see that you're, like, naughty and mischievous, they might grab you and spirit you away, like, into the fairy realm, and you'll never see your family again. You'll just, like, be disappeared. And it was a way to get kids, you know, not to, like, be wandering off. Especially, like, at night or, you know, just being where they're not supposed to be. Yeah. It's interesting, too, to think about, like, you've said, oh, your parents didn't read that to you to scare you to think that goblins were going to get you. But I feel like that with the books that I read to my kids, it's like we don't think that the things that are happening in this book are actually going to happen. But so many of them do have, 
like a message that we want to teach our kids. So even if you're reading it to your kids as something that's, this is a story, it's just for fun, it's just for entertainment, that message still comes across, I feel like, with the little kids. Like, what happened to the little kid in the story where he didn't say his prayers? Like, oh, he got taken by the goblins. It makes me wonder if it's kind of a similar thing. Again, I'm not back in this time, but it's like, how much of it were they saying that was like completely serious or how much of it was just the story that they would tell with the kids even understanding that this isn't a real thing just to illustrate the point that they were trying to get across or not, you know? Yeah. I mean, I could see it going both ways. And there are, like you said, there are things today where we like really do kind of like we as like a general society trick our kids by making them believe something that is that we know isn't true, you know, rather than just doing it as like a story or like a fun tradition. Which again, I mean, there's a little bit of, it's not like it's one thing or the other either, you know, but it's just interesting. Yeah, because it's like, whether you are telling your child specifically, like, this is real, this happens to kids, like, to really, like, terrify them, or whether it is, like, just telling them the story and then discussing the values that are inside of it so the kid still ends up knowing, like, yeah, you should be behaving and doing things right or you should be doing things that your parents like are telling you to do because really parents are trying to keep you safe yeah say your prayers with goblins are gonna come and chop off your toes (laughs) what we interrupt this broadcast to bring you breaking news In what some are calling a hostile takeover, Andy has become the new proprietor of Mr. G's Pizza. While you can still enjoy the same delicious pizza, wings, and sandwiches as before, sources close to the situation fear that it is only a matter of time before Andy goes mad with pepperoni-scented power. Mr. G's remains open Thursday through Saturday for a delicious meal fit for the whole family and is conveniently located along historic Route 66. Though critics wonder if it's even worth eating the best pizza in town if it means lining the pockets of an insane pizza czar. More as this story develops. So, in case people are starting to wonder if only Europeans are terrifying their children into behaving... We have some great news for you. It's not just Europeans who are terrifying their children. (laughs) It's a universal human trait that we want to scare the crap out of our kids so that they behave. Yes, indeed. So we're going to go on a little trip around the world. When we talked last year about Krampus and Mother Holly and how they relate to kind of like behavior, we talked uh, like lightly about that. and. I had a friend reach out and message me and say that her husband, who's from Brazil, his parents would always tell him the story of the Kuka. So the Kuka is a mythological character. Originally, they think that it came from Coca, uh, a Portuguese Coca, which is a dragon. Mm. And that the story was brought to Brazil and changed into an alligator. So the Kuka is an ugly old woman. <laughs> Again, I'm like, wow, <laughs> like Gryla much. Yeah. So it's this ugly old woman who appears in the form of a crocodile. And she steals and eats in one bite disobedient children. 
Oh, snap. And apparently the Kuka only sleeps once every seven years. And so she's always awake, except for that one like night every seven years. <laughs> so kids who, <laughs> who don't go to sleep when their parents tell them to, the Kuka will come and get them when they once they get out of their bed. Oh, man. Oh, I'm like, I love that. And that one night every seven years when she's sleeping is when the purge happens. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, it's one of those terrifying things where it's like you never know when that one day that she's sleeping is. And so you just have to assume that today is. Yeah, it's not today. (laughs) And that you better like stay in your bed because like and she'll know if you creep out of your bed and she'll grab you. And that one night that you do creep out of your bed and you come back alive, it's like, oh, that must have just been the night that she was sleeping. So now I definitely can't do it again for another seven years. Yeah. So apparently there used to be, or there still is, like a lullaby. And it's obviously like in Portuguese. And so Uh I'm reading a translation, but it's... Sleep, little one. The kooka's going to get you. Daddy went to the fields and mommy went to work. Come down, little cat, from the roof to see if the child is sleeping peacefully. Which Aww. I'm like, that sounds so sweet. But it's like, it illustrates that, like, um, it kind of makes me feel like if if daddy is in the fields and mom is at work. Right. The we kids might- alone. The kids alone, but we might not be talking about sleeping at night. We might be talking about like the middle of the day uh, nap, yeah, which for sure. if anybody has tried to put their kids down for a nap, you know that your kids are going to be grumpy the rest of the day if they don't take their nap, but they hate yeah. taking their nap because oh they hate gosh. slowing down in the middle of the day. And I'm like, kid, I know you hate slowing down in the middle of the day, but mommy needs this. <laughs> mommy needs this so bad. Oh, and the kooka is going to come and eat you if you do not. <laughs> I need this so bad. <laughs> so yeah, that song made me feel like the sleeping that they're talking about is kind of in the middle of the day. But again, I think you were about to say, like, if both of the parents are gone at work, it's really important that the kid takes their nap and that they stay where they're supposed to stay. Yeah. So that they aren't going off and either getting lost or hurt wherever they're like wandering off to. Oh yeah. So I was really glad that she had uh, uh, wrote me a message about this because I also had somebody on Instagram last year. I asked people what kind of like myths or legends or legendary figures scared them when they were a child. And somebody wrote in and told me about one from Paraguay. And so I'm going to let Jeff tell you about that. That way I don't have to pronounce its name. <laughs> it was yeah, like, you sure there's something? Yasi Yatere. Yeah, Yasi Yatere. I was really glad when you gave me this one because it was like a really interesting kind of a story. And it's like you said, about the same one from the, the Kuka in Brazil. It's about kind of getting kids to take their nap. So it's kind of like if you have a kid that is – not wanting to take their nap, you tell them this story about Yase Yatere, who is this childlike creature that wanders around in the forest. And apparently it like looks like a child. He's got this long golden hair. And the Yase Yatere just likes to play. So if you are not going down for your nap, you're getting up to play instead. The Yase Yatere is going to come by. 
and he's going to invite you to come and play with him in the forest. And it's like, oh yeah, of course, you're going to want to play with another little kid. So you go out in the forest and he's got this magical staff that he uses and he like makes magical things happens, makes the forest dance, make the trees light up. And then he invites you back to his little house and he feeds you honey and fruit and you just can eat and eat and eat all you want. It's like, what kid doesn't want to eat all the sweet things that they can get their hands on? Like honey, mm-hmm. fruit, I'd be totally down. And it's like, this story does not sound terrifying at all. It sounds like a kid's dream come true until once you've had your fill of fruit and honey, the Yaseyatere uses their staff to absorb your essence, which is what keeps him looking youthful because actually it's this creature that's thousands of years old. So it absorbs your essence. And now that it doesn't have any more need for you because it's stolen what it wanted, which again was your youthful essence, he takes you to go and meet his brother, the Owl Owl, which is like a sheep-like creature with these crazy sharp fangs. That's like, I guess, kind of also humanoid that just likes to eat the children. So he sucks out your soul and takes you to his brother who eats you and you're dead. Have a good nap. The end. (laughs) Which I thought that was super interesting and also hilarious, especially because it's like, it doesn't start off scaring you right away. You know, it's like, oh yeah, getting everything that I want would be amazing. But then showing it may seem like you're getting everything that you want, but sometimes that is actually a very bad thing and a very dangerous thing, which I think is kind of like an important lesson to learn for a kid. Cause that's just, it is like, you know, a kid not taking their nap. It's not as extreme as getting eaten by like some mythical beast, but it is like, if you do take your nap, it's going to seem be better for you in the end. You're not going to be grumpy. You're not going to be upset the rest of the day. Like, it may seem great to get a play all day and to just stay up and eat your snacks, but actually it's not going to turn out how you hope and want. And this is what's best for you right now for your future happiness, to be able to play again tomorrow. I also like how this story includes a kind of like stranger danger element. Yeah. Where it's like, don't follow things out into the wilderness Never follow a mythological creature to a secondary location. How many times do I have to tell you? Didn't that happen in like the the devil's grandmother? (laughs) They followed the they went with the dragon to a secondary location and surprise it was the devil. (laughs) So yeah, I just like that, you know, there's that element of like don't follow like things into like the wilderness, into the, the jungle, you'll get lost. Because that's like that's a danger, even if there are not mythical figures like out there. There's like danger right. that's like out there, especially for like small children who lack the ability to really like look around themselves and be aware of where they are and what also could be creeping up on them. Yeah. So what I like about this also is that it is taking this mythological creature, this mythological figure from the indigenous mythology Mm-hmm. And turning it into this like like practical kind of like everyday sort of story to help people, and it, it's it reminded me so much of La Llorona, where it was this kind of like bigger, broader adult story that was yeah. about like all this other stuff, 
And later it became useful to like scare children into <laughs> like not wandering off by the water at night and just like kind of, yeah, being where you're supposed to be, taking care of yourself and stuff like that. Because in the mythology, AOAO, the sheep like creature, it's like the brother of the Yasi Yatere. Uh-huh. And like they have this like bigger family because I think they are two of seven siblings uh-huh. that belong to this like much bigger South American mythology. That's so, so cool. It's yeah, it's like really neat how <laughs> these stories all they start off like serving a much broader purpose. And then different characters can be like like pulled into kind of an everyday kind of situation. Yeah, that is really cool. And that was the thing that fascinated me about it. I mean, I didn't look into it so much, but like hearing that it was like, it's not just this one time character, you know, like you think of like Santa Claus or something like that. You know, it's like this character that has this whole other world around it, but it just happens to be the one that fills the need for this particular story. So they were able to use him in order for this, you know, very specific thing of trying to get kids to take a nap or whatever the case may be. Yeah. It makes me wonder if maybe in like ancient Greece, they should have come up with stories where they're like, like, oh, if you are being disrespectful to a woman, then Hera will come and chop off your penis. <laughs> Oh, how different the world would be. If Hera just went around whacking. Swiping sausages. (laughs) (laughs) I love that that was a callback. So now I am going to take us on to another story. So this story is included in a book called The People Could Fly by Virginia Hamilton. It is a collection of African-American folk tales. So the story is called Little Eight John. So eight as in the number. Uh And I've seen a couple different reasons why his name is Little Eight John, none of which I've find super compelling. I guess the one that I find the most compelling is that they're they're like there were a lot of people named John and so they called him little <laughs> eight John because he was the eighth one in that family. I'm like, okay, maybe. <laughs> I guess. Some way to differentiate him from all the other Johns. Yeah. Kind of makes like, sense. He's he's little eight John. I'm trying to remember what culture it is. I feel like they're is like a culture that I've heard about where like in the family, like your your first name is always the number that you are in the family. Oh, interesting. Where it and then like the second name is like a gendered one. So it's like your like first girl. And then you ah. can also But then I think it's like second son. Is na- like the name of like the second kid who's like a son, and then yeah, but that's I think super it's, interesting. But I think it's words that mean those things. You know what I mean? Not right. not, not the like word literally. one. And, yeah, but I cannot for the life of me remember what culture it is. That's so, so cool. 
But yeah, like they're just like one of those things where they're like, oh, that's a really common name, like in that area, because that's how everybody numbers their yeah. like kind of offspring. And you normally like, go everyone by... has a first kid. Not everyone has a 17th kid. Those names would be a little less rare. <laughs> or, wait, a little more rare. The names first son and first daughter are probably the most common names. But then most people would go by a nickname instead of like their numbered name. So there was once a small boy who lived long ago, and his name was Little Eight John. He was really good looking, just a handsome little boy, but he was terribly behaved. (laughs) And he never wanted to listen to older folks, especially not his mom. But his mom loved him no matter what, which I'm like, ah, first mistake. <laughs> oh, sometimes we love our kids so much that it does them a disservice. Not love them so much, but we we equate punishment with not loving them, which isn't true. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean. I know what you mean. Like if you love your kid, you want them to turn out well, you don't want them to be spoiled. So if you really love them, then you have to do things that they don't like. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, because yeah, because like you're like you are going to need to eat vegetables, and I know you don't like it, or you can't hit people. That's one where I'm like, that's going to be applicable your whole life. That you just can't beat people when you're mad. So we better start practicing that now. We only use our hands for good, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. So he never listened to his mom, but she loved him so much. That she never wanted to properly discipline him. (laughs) So she would tell him not to do something. And then immediately after she would tell him not to do it, he would go and do whatever he wanted, no matter how awful it was, because he was just a very contrary child. Oh, man, that reminds me of one of my kids. Oh, I thought you were going to say one of mine. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway... So one day, his mother says to little eight John, little eight John, don't go stepping and squashing the toads and the frogs. If you go stepping and squashing those toads and frogs, you'll bring bad luck to our family. Which I didn't know that that was a superstition, but I guess it is. Plus, it's like cruelty to animals is a is like that's a bad sign. <laughs> yeah, it means you got a little psychopath on your hands. Yeah, don't want that. So little eight John said, okay, mom, I won't go stepping on any toads and frogs. But then once he was out of the sight of his mother, he was like, I'm going to go find some toads and some frogs and smash them just to be contrary. So he found a toad and he squished it. And then he found a frog and he squashed it. And he just thought to himself, I could be squishing these frogs and toads all day long. This is such fun. Which I'm like, oh, that's disturbing. Don't do that. (laughs) Torturing small animals is not okay. So after he did that, his mom's cow wouldn't give good milk and his little sister got bad stomach aches. And little eight John knew it was because he had been naughty and squashed those toads and frogs, even though his mom told him that was bad luck. But did he feel guilty about it? No, he did not. He thought it was hilarious that he had all that power. Come on, little eight John. I know. So his mom said to him, 
Don't sit in the chairs backwards. When you sit in those chairs backwards, you're going to bring some serious bad luck to your family. Which again, I didn't know about this superstition. But apparently, don't sit in chairs backwards. I always hear parents telling their kids not to like lean back on the chair because you don't want them to tip yeah. over and crack their head. So that's of course, be a hard, oh. <laughs> that's a hard truth for the cool down to earth high school teachers in movies to hear that they can't be sitting in their chairs backwards. <laughs> Flip the chair around backwards and sit down like, yeah. let's just talk, kids. It's just you and me talking. We're just yeah. pals here. Just two cool dudes hanging out. Like, um, no, flip that chair around, you look like a dork. So, little eight John told his mom, okay, I'll stop sitting backwards in the chairs, mom. But did he? No, he did not. He's a terrible child. (laughs) So, he would flip around every chair he saw and sit in it backwards and he didn't care. And his mom ended up burning her cornbread, even though she was looking at it while it was cooking. The milk stopped churning so no butter would be had and little eight john just laughed and laughed because he thought it was so funny (laughs) i'm like really because i would have personally enjoyed eating some cornbread buddy with some nice butter butter. on it but no you cannot tell me that sitting backwards in a chair is better than some perfectly cooked buttered cornbread no nothing would be better than perfectly buttered cornbread So, little eight John's mom said to him, sweet little eight, don't climb up in trees on Sunday because it will bring more bad luck. But bad little eight John (laughs) snuck out of the house on Sunday and climbed every tree he saw. Oh, man. Not only does he just, like, do it, he does it to the extreme. Yeah, he's like, oh, not only am I going to, like, squish a toad, I'm going to hunt for toads and frogs to squash them. Not I'm going to flip around every tree. chair yeah. backwards. I'm going to climb every tree. So, because he decided to sneak off and climb all those trees on Sunday, his dad's potatoes wouldn't grow, his dad's mule wouldn't plow, and little eight John knew it was because he had been climbing trees on Sunday. But did he care? No, he did not. Because he's the worst. (laughs) So his mom said, Little eight John, don't count your straight white teeth. Which I was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Again. Apparently, the only one I didn't say that for was uh, the one, the climbing trees on Sunday. I'm like, oh, yeah, obviously, that's... (laughs) That's I a clear, that. clear violation of that. <laughs> like, I guess because I'm like, I can see why that would be bad for people who were. I was never allowed to climb trees on Sunday because I was usually wearing church clothes on Sunday. Yeah. And if I ripped up my church clothes on Sunday, I was going to be in big trouble. Yeah. So that one made sense to me why he wouldn't be allowed to climb trees on Sunday. But counting your straight white teeth, I was like, I don't understand. But she said, if you count your straight white teeth, your whole family is going to get awfully sick. Do you think that little eight John cared? Probably not. No. He just counted his teeth. It says the uppers and the lowers. (laughs) He counted them on Mondays and Sundays and the days in between. (laughs) He counted his teeth 800 times, which I'm like, that's. That's a a weird obsession. Hopefully he was brushing them as he was doing it too, because that's probably fine. If he's just like, I'm going to brush my teeth every day. Like, 
That's a good way to trick your kid. I mean, yeah. like, you better not be brushing your teeth. And they're like, I'm going to brush them <laughs> even harder. <laughs> I feel I feel like for some children that would work. Just oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would work for, again, my one kid that just likes to do the opposite of whatever you say. Yeah, he's like, what'd you tell me to do? So he counted all his teeth. And then his poor mama got the whooping cough. And his little sister got the croup. Ugh. And little A John knew that it was because he wasn't listening to what his parents did. And so he decided he was going to stop and start behaving. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> Dang, you tricked me. Like, What's going to be the last straw for this kid? You're like, what? All right. So his mom said, little A John, don't sleep with your head at the foot of the bed. Because it will give your family, and I quote, the short of money blues. Which Aww. I'm like, I think we've all had the short of money blues at one point yeah, or another. Yeah. Did little eight John listen? Absolutely not. That kid was like, great. My head is going to be right at the foot of my bed every single night because I'm absolutely a contrarian. So his family went broke in no time. And little eight John just thought this was the funniest thing, which I don't understand how these are funny to him. Yeah. I'm like, you're making like, your this... life harder. Yeah. Does this not affect you too? So his mom says to him, little eight John, please, please, please. I beg you don't moan and groan and complain on Sundays. And she was telling them him this because she loved him so much. She was worried that he was going to be taken by old rawhead bloody bones. <laughs> Who is rawhead bloody bones? You might be asking yourself right now. Yes. So old rawhead bloody bones is the raw bones of someone that died and then rises up and walks around and tries to catch people. Oh, God. <laughs> um, that's like exactly what it is because i'm like wait are we talking about like zombies, zombies so it's yeah. it's like it's zombies except that it's just the bones all covered in like chunks of like flesh and blood and it's Ugh. like walking around coming to get you that's pretty disgusting pretty scary yeah and i'm like i'm questioning this woman coming to her son with this information because i feel like she's setting him up to fail. Um, <laughs> this is a woman that cannot recognize patterns when she sees them. Yeah, like, hmm, this this might be partly your making. But anyway, little A John listened to what his mom said. And he said, okay, mom, okay, mom. But then when it was Sunday, he decided to moan and groan and complain all day long. And even the next Monday, he decided to moan and groan and complain all day long. So when the next Sunday rolled around and the sun went down and it got dark, old Rob Bloody Bones rose up and came walking and he went right to the bed of bad little eight John. <laughs> and it says in one flicker of candlelight, old raw head Bloody Bones turned little John into a tiny little dark grease spot on the kitchen table. And when his mom woke up the next day, she saw that little grease spot on the table and she said, huh, I must have missed a spot last night after dinner. And she scrubbed and scrubbed until that little grease spot oh, was no man. more. 
And that was the end of Little Eight John. And it's what happens to all little kids who don't mind their mamas. <laughs> Dang! <laughs> Woo! What's funny is like at the end of this, like the little note that's included like in the book is they're like, this is a moral tale, particularly to get children to be good. I was like, yeah, no, I got that. <laughs> that was abundantly clear from the entire story. Like, oh, yeah, no, I, I understood. I I don't think anybody read that and was like, now, why would they tell that story? That's so peculiar. It's like, no. <laughs> That 100%, I know why they told that story. That absolutely makes sense. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting, too. Like, I I wanted there to be a Little Eight John redemption arc. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted something to happen. Him have a close call with old rawhead bloody bones and then see that, oh, these things actually do affect me. And then he becomes good. Because that was the thing, too. Like, throughout the whole story... So many of the things that would happen didn't affect him directly, which is why he didn't learn his lesson. It was yeah. like it would make his parents sick. It made his sister sick. It made the mule stop doing things, which, again, would affect him indirectly. Like if you're not able to plow your field and your potatoes aren't growing and whatever else, it's like you're not going to have food. You're not going to have money. You're going to be broke, which means you're not going to have food to eat, kid. You're not going to get clothes. Like this is not going to be good for you, but it's, you know – a few steps away from that point. You know, there was nothing where it was like, oh, don't climb trees on Sunday because you're going to fall and break your arm. And then the kid falls and breaks his arm. And he was like, oh, my mom was right. Yeah. I mean, and that goes back to the, like the natural consequences thing where it's like as a concept of like discipline of like letting natural events happen or explaining what the natural consequence of an action will be. And then when it happens to the kid, you can be like, okay, yeah. now I guess like, don't touch that. It's hot. And then the kid's like, I do what I want. And they touch it and they burn their fingers and they're like, wow, should have listened to my mom. But yeah, in the story, it was like everything that he was kind of being told not to do. It either is a thing where it's like, why is this important? Like, why yeah. is this like, cause like sitting backwards in the chair, I mean, yeah. aside from like, oh, maybe it's bad luck, but there's not like a nat, like a reason for not letting like a child do that. And if right. there is a reason, then you should state the get like what the, the actual given reason. reason. Is, yeah. yeah. And so, cause it seemed like all the consequences were things that, yeah, like you pointed out, didn't, affect him where it's like they affected him indirectly where like oh if his mom is sick yeah she can't be making him the food that he wants or whatever yeah if she burns all the food but yeah he wasn't the one that like got sick because he was like counting his teeth (laughs) yeah but that was an interesting thing and you brought up the really interesting point too is like the things that she was telling him to do were not super consequential. Like, why is why can't you count your teeth? You know, aside from being bad luck. You know what yeah. I mean? And it like it makes me wonder if there's something like culturally that I'm kind of like missing out on. Cause it's like, is counting your like your straight white teeth like counting your chickens before they hatch? You know, like a like a yeah. phrase like that. So I wonder if there's like something that I'm just like yeah, unaware like a gap of, like the between. superstition or yeah. Yeah. Because it is like, okay, if sitting backwards in the chair 
does something bad to like the chair or it makes it easier to rip your pants or, you know, like. Right. Some reason why, like, I'd like to know. Cause yeah, it seemed like in the things that they picked out aside from, cause the things that I felt like made the most sense were not climbing a tree on Sunday and not moaning and groaning on Sunday. Cause those seem to be kind of linked with like religion yeah. of like, because I've seen stories too from like different areas where it's like, if you're skipping church on Sunday, like the fairies will come and grab you because right. you're like a wild heathen child who uh-huh. <laughs> is trying to like reinforce the religious practices of the day. Like, yeah. So those, culture. so those ones in the story, I felt like made sense, like not moaning and groaning and complaining on Sunday. If you have to go to church or take a bath before you, you know, yeah. like go to church or whatever. But the other ones didn't like fully make sense to me, like why he wasn't supposed to do them and why he's being punished. I mean, there was, squishing the frogs, it is like, okay, that's deviant behavior. Yeah. It, it also made me think too, that maybe some of these things are purposefully, you know, like inconsequential to just set in the fact, like it doesn't matter if it's a ridiculous thing that your mother is asking, you need to do what your mom says. You know what I mean? Just taking it to an extreme just to get that point across. Like, I guess that's true because like when you're a child, almost everything your parents tell you to do. Yeah. It seems like, why are they making me do this? Yeah. Even if it doesn't make sense to you, know that there's a reason why your mom is telling you. So do it and and be obedient. Yeah. Like, don't ask why. Just please do it. Because sometimes it is like you just need your kid to quickly follow directions without a long explanation or something. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I I like how you thought of that, Jeff, how it is like. Maybe the point is that from like a child's perspective, everything seems kind of like arbitrary almost. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was really interesting about this story was the mom, how it talked about how she loved her son so much that she couldn't bring herself to properly discipline him or whatever the case may be. And that really made me think about all of these stories and about how the reason these stories exist probably is because as parents, we love our kids. We don't want to be making them do things that they don't want to do. We don't want to be the bad guy that's making them unhappy. So we invent these stories and these things that can externalize these consequences as not coming from us. Cause besides the one where the parents are like, I'm going to give you away to Gryla and she's going to eat you or whatever. Like all of these were this thing like, Hey, we're just warning you about this thing that will happen. It's not me. Like it's not up to me. It's up to all these like mythical forces that you have to do what I want you to do, you know, because we don't want to be like the always have to be the meanie and the bad guy forcing the kids to do things that they like hate and are complaining about and whining about, you know, because we do love them. So it's a nice kind of middle ground that we can be like, okay, well, here's the way that we can try to teach them consequences, try to get them to do what we want and behave. And we don't have to be the bad guy. They can still see us as like. Just a loving parent that never does anything that makes them unhappy, which, you know, whether that's healthy or not, I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like, I can see why that (laughs) it it becomes a thing. No, because I know, like, I I like it when my reason for telling my kids no is out of my hands. Like, it is something where I'm like, no, I'm not saying no, because, like, I 
like want to keep you from something or I'm punishing you or like anything. It's like it's out of my hands. Yeah. Because my kids do have a tendency to just kind of drop it when they realize like I'm not the person you're fighting against. Like you're raging against the machine, but like I'm not the machine. Like, <laughs> I, like I'm right here with you because I know like I mean, it's funny because I uh, I blame the government a lot for things that my daughter like. <laughs> wants to do but not like not like you know it's not like eat your vegetables or like cps is gonna come and take your mommy away not like that like that's not what i'm talking about but like when she's like she i she wants to go clubbing because she likes the concept as explained to her of like like it's a place where people go and listen to loud music and like dance and she's like that sounds really wonderful i want to go to the club and I'm like, you can't, like, you can't go to the club because like you're uh, at the time that she wanted to go to the club, she was four years old. So like, <laughs> I was like, you can't go to the club. And she was like, why? Why don't you want to take me to the club? And I was like, you can't go to the club because only grownups can go to the club. And she was like, why can only grownups go to the club? And I was like, those are the government rules. And she was like, why would the government do this? Um, <laughs> And I'm like trying to explain like people drink at the club and it's like grown up drinks, but they can't give like grown up drink. And she's like not understanding and she gets really like upset about it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm accidentally like raising her to be a libertarian because she like <laughs> she believes in very limited government. <laughs> and and but like my my point was I myself have I like it when something is out of my hands too. When I tell the child, like I'm not doing this, it makes it a little bit easier just like as a parent, when it isn't coming from me, even though I agree with what's happening. Like I personally, I I don't think four year olds should be at the club. (laughs) Um, I'm not saying like, Oh, if it wasn't for the government, I would 100% take my daughter to the club, but it does make my job like a little bit easier. So I understand why like in Christmas time, especially when Everything is kind of gathered inside. You have your kids gathered inside, especially back when these stories were first like being told. People were literally gathered inside their very small homes. Yeah. All together. It's it's a lot of people in a very small space. Everybody kind of does need to be on the best of behavior. And it just becomes easier as a parent to be like, if you don't get this done... Frau Perchta is going to slice open your belly. So, like, just (laughs) please sit down and, like, just finish, like, the chore that needs to get done. Or to say, like, if the Yule lads get in this house, they're going to steal all this. Like, just some way to make it easier to parent when you're kind of in a very tough spot parenting in that, like, close quarters Christmas time. And I mean, for like the the European portion of like what you and I are talking about, a lot of these stories do center around that like Yule time where it is the darkest part of the year. The most light that they have, it's like five hours of daylight. So it's a scary, dark time. People are telling stories to like entertain each other. They're trying to do their like kind of sit down textile work or any, any work that can be done inside of the house. And they're trying to entertain each other with stories 
And they're usually kind of these like dark, spooky stories. And so it makes sense that like while they're telling these dark, spooky stories, they're also using that time to terrify their children into behaving. (laughs) So hopefully this episode has gotten people into the Christmassy mood and that they're ready to (laughs) to go out and, and scare some small children into behaving. If you have an experience as a child with your parents telling you a story to get you to behave, I would love to hear it, whether it's part of like your greater cultural tradition or whether it was specifically your parents. (laughs) That would be really cool. (laughs) Just begging you to behave. It would really help me out with my book that uh, is yet to be written and yet to get a release date. (laughs) Krampus, Gryland Goblins. A Folklore Guide to Parenting Chronically Naughty Children. (laughs) I would greatly appreciate your submissions. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. Especially in some of these like places like in Iceland, we're talking hours of daylight hours. We're always talking hours of daylight, <laughs> Katrina. There's like, what am I? Oh, man.